All right, this morning I want to continue with, this is now part 14, part 14 of uh, our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We took a break last week on Father's Day. We gave Ben, our pastoral intern, a chance to do a great job. He did a great job, didn't he, with his message last Sunday? And uh, um, now we're resuming our series, and and I want to give you just a quick refresher. Jesus is speaking to us. Uh, he's speaking to us in very practical ways. This is practical, right? This this series of messages. This really tells us. This is what this is what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. This is what it will look like in your life if you're serious about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Somebody mentioned what it. Well, well, I want to be an apprentice. I want to be an apprentice. I want to enter into an apprenticeship. That's what discipleship looked like. In the first century, Jesus called to himself 12 apprentices and he taught them how to do what they saw him doing. And we're Jesus' apprentices, we're Jesus' disciples, we're his followers. And uh, he gives us some very practical instructions. And so today is part two of the little subset of uh, the, the fourth point in Jesus' outline, if, you will, if you'll call it that, when Jesus speaks to us about uh, how we do our religious things, our religious practices, and uh, I wonder if I were to just ask you for a minute to make a list, make a list in your head of the religious things that you do, the things that you do, or the things you know you should do, because you are a religious person. Now, I'm using the word religious, and I'm not using it ironically. I'm not using it in a negative way. This is, this is the way in which I am in relationship with God. My, my religion, using the word generically, my relationship with God, this is what it actually looks like. If you were to look at me, this is how you would know that I'm a religious person. What would they be? I've made a quick list here of eight things, starting with uh, everybody checks this one off this morning. You can put a check in this box, church attendance. If you're here this morning, or even if you're watching on Facebook, there, you got, you got one of your things checked off. Boom. You've done a religious thing by coming to church. Now, I, again, I'm not, I'm not saying this in a negative way. Please don't take it that way. This is part of what it means for me that I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and for me it means I go to church. It's important to me. We've talked about this before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining why, but it's important. It's an important part of my religious practice. I go to church. I read my Bible. Is that on your list? Would would that have been on your list? I read my Bible. I read my Bible every day. Maybe I use a, a Bible reading guide, a suggested, well, this is what you should read today. Uh, maybe you use a devotional guide that tells you, read this passage today, and then, and then this commentary will help you to understand it or will help you to apply it. How many of you do or have used in your life, in your religious practice, a devotional book like, for example, Our Daily Bread? Almost every hand is up. Almost everybody has at one point or is still using a, a guided devotional, tells you what part of the Bible to read, and gives you some ideas about how that applies in your life or how it should apply in your life. So, so you would check that off. Yes, I, 
as part of my religious practice, I read the Bible, or I know I should read the Bible. How about, um, I pray at mealtimes and at bedtime. I, I somehow know I should pray and give thanks to God for the food that I'm about to read, and, and bless the hands that prepared it. That's, that's part of your, okay. Uh, and I pray at bedtime. Now I lay me down to sleep. Or, or, or some other prayer that you might have learned when you were a child. And, and it's still, it's part prayer, it's part nostalgia, it's part remembering what it was like. I'm not making fun of this, please understand. I am not saying any of those things, any of these things are bad. Uh, I pray, not only do I pray at mealtimes and at bedtime, but I pray for others when they ask for prayer. I, how many of you get an email from the church from time to time with a prayer request update? If you, if you aren't getting that email, but would like to, make sure you tell Jody to put your name on that email list. So when you get an email or when someone shares with you some concern for prayer, you pray for it, or you say, I'll pray for it, or you know in your head, I should pray for that. I should pray. So that's part of your religious practice. I also have uh, on here, um, I listen to and or watch Christian music, programming, or entertainment. Uh, I don't just... I don't just consume worldly entertainment. I also understand that as a Christian, I ought to be putting some, some Christian content into my head, whether it's Christian music, Christian talk radio, or Christian podcasts, or I read Christian literature, or I, read, I watch Christian television, The Chosen, or uh, Christian-based or family-based movies like I, Facing the Giants comes to mind. How many of you have seen that movie, Facing the Giants? It's, it's old. It's been around a while now. But I recommend that you would watch that. Uh, you might say, part of my religious practice is I help out at church from time to time. I'm helping with VBS, or I take a turn in the nursery, or with ki- uh, Kingdom Kids, or I, I am a greeter, or uh, I am one of the officers of the church, a deaconess, or a deacon, or an elder, or a member of the FNF, a trustee. Uh, or any of the other things, uh, I come to church when there's a work day and I help with, you know, those kinds of things around. Or uh, I help set up or I help take down or I move chairs. How many of you have ever carried a chair in church? Yeah. Or moved, or moved a banquet table. I'm so thankful that the tables have gotten so much lighter. I wonder if I could count up the number of folding chairs I have carried from one part of a building to another part of a building in my life. I don't know. That that number is probably higher than every dollar I've ever earned. That's part of our religious practice. And uh, I got two more. I give money to the church and to other causes. I, I See, I carefully didn't say I tithe. I didn't say that. But um, some do, and I'm glad that some do. And then on the last thing on my list, you could add other things to this list too. You probably have other things. I try to treat other people well. That's, I do that partly because, you know, if I treat other people well, they're going to treat me better. But also because I know that's, 
something Jesus asks of me. So that's part of my religious practice, how I treat other people. So your list might look a lot like mine. It might look nothing at all like mine. You might have things on your list that I didn't mention. You might have uh, things from my list that you wouldn't have included on yours. That's fine. These are our religious practices. And Jesus says, when you do your religious things, there's a wrong way to do them. And there's a right way to do them. We talked about this two, uh, two weeks ago. Jesus gave us the first of three examples of religious things, your acts of righteousness. He talked about when you give to the poor. You might remember uh, hearing me talk about when you give to the poor, don't do it to be noticed by other people. And I put a little cartoon up there with a, with a young man uh, handing some bags of groceries to the family standing behind him. And he's, he's got his camera up there in the classic selfie. You know, 20 years ago, nobody knew what a selfie was, right? But now everybody does. He's taken a selfie of himself giving groceries to this poor family who, are, who look confused, ashamed, embarrassed. That's an example of doing your righteous acts to be seen by others. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Don't, don't practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he goes into the uh, three examples. Today we're looking at the second of the three examples. In fact, it's going to take us two weeks on this second example. And the second example he gives is how to and how not to pray. I think all of us agreed prayer is on the list of things that we do as the, a practice of our righteousness, as a practice of our relationship with God. And Jesus says this, when you pray, he says actually and when you pray, because and connects this to the previous example, when you give to the poor, when you give to the needy, and when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites. Now, this is interesting. My, my older brother, Don, is preaching somewhere in Indiana today, and he and I were talking during the week about what he was planning to preach. And I, and I said, oh, that's interesting, because here's what I've got coming up this Sunday. And he was talking about how we rarely find Jesus or the apostles using labels to group people into categories. And, and he said, I, he, he was preaching on pessimism. Pessimism. What does the Bible say about pessimism? Thinking that things are going from bad to worse. And, and uh, we were talking about the, the use of the label, pessimist, optimist. And I said, you know, it's funny that we're talking about this because the passage I'm preaching this Sunday, Jesus does use two labels in which he categorizes two different groups of people. It's quite interesting. We might say, well, yeah, you shouldn't do that. He's not woke. <laughs> Jesus is not woke. Jesus is, must still be, what's the opposite of woke? Sleeping? Oh, asleep? 
I don't know. But Jesus uses these two categories, these two labels. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, if I hadn't already used this parable, I might have used it this Sunday where Jesus talks about the two men that went up to the temple to pray, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee stands up in front and he says, Oh God. Oh, Jesus says, and he prays to himself this way. Oh God, I'm so glad that you made me like the the way I am and not like the way that old guy over there is. And that's a perfect example of what Jesus is talking about. The hypocrite who is really just praying to make a show. He's performing for an audience and his audience is not God. Don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have already received their reward. Their prayer was heard by the people they wanted to be heard by. That's bad grammar. That is very bad grammar, Dennis. Do better. Do more do more better. <laughs> Do betterer. That sounds right. There, I used to say to people who, when I was talking to them about praying, they'd ask me, "How how should I pray?" And I would, and I, the first thought that came out of my mouth was, "Really, there's no wrong way to pray." But then I read the Bible. <laughs> Don't you hate it? There actually are some wrong ways to pray. Just maybe not the way we think. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrite. He puts in a guardrail. Over here on the right, we were last summer, we were, I was just reminded of this. Last summer, we were at uh, Glacier National Park. Have you, have you been there? Glacier National Park in Montana. It's fantastic. And there's this one road there. If you ever go there, you want to, you want to do this. You want to take the ride to the sun. Is the, that's what the road is called. And it winds its way up the side of several mountains, deep valleys and several mountains. And on one side, there is a sheer cliff wall. And on the other side, there is a sheer drop-off into, into a deep valley hundreds of feet below the surface of the road. It has been said that some people are so freaked out. Can I say freaked out? So disconcerted by... this rock wall on this side and this drop-off on this side, that they have to stop the car and trade positions and let the other half of their partnership take the wheel. They are that 
unnerved. So I've heard. Fortunate, that's oddly specific. It's oddly specific. That's true, it's oddly specific. Fortunately, though, there is a guardrail protecting the edge of the road and the cars on it from going over. And of course, the, the cliff face on this side doesn't need a guardrail because you're not falling off that side of the road. I've been thinking about this passage being uh, Jesus installing guardrails uh, for the extremes, the two extremes of the wrong ways to pray. And the first one, I'm going to say, this is the right guardrail. If you go too far right, you could be like the hypocrites. Do not be like the hypocrites. Now, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, I did not put a slide up, so I'm going to just tell you what fits in the blanks there. The hypocrites who are praying to be seen by other people, they have engaged their heads, but not their hearts. And who, who is it that Jesus really puts this label on in the New Testament most often? Are that, are that group on the far right, the far right extremists, the Pharisees and scribes. Don't be like the hypocrites who pray to be seen by others. They've engaged their heads, but not their hearts. Now, then Jesus gives an antidote for this error. This is how you guard yourself against the error of hypocrisy by engaging your head without bringing your heart along with you. He says in verse 6 of Matthew 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, we pray here in church a lot, don't we? And this is public, at least in the context of our gathering, right? Does this mean that every time one of us uh, in the worship team or Pastor Tim or I or someone else prays publicly, are we crashing through that guardrail and getting into the realm of hypocrisy because Jesus says don't pray in public pray in secret you have to wrestle with this right because maybe sometimes some of us who have the opportunity to stand up in the group like a group like us and lead us in prayer sometimes some of us might be making the mistake of hypocrisy and praying in such a way that I want to impress you with my fine-sounding prayer words. How many of you grew up in a church where everybody seemed to pray in the King James English? I don't think everybody who prayed that way was a, a hypocrite. But sometimes I have to ask myself, why don't I pray that way? Why don't I use that language? It's 
foreign to me, but it was natural to my parents and grandparents. I'll share a personal story. When I was a boy, our church, First Baptist Church in Afton, New York, on Caswell Street, we had a Sunday morning service, and after Sunday morning, we had Sunday school. We had Sunday school after church. We were backwards. And then we had a Sunday night service. Oh, and we had youth group Sunday afternoon and then Sunday evening service. So you might be at church as much as five hours on a Sunday. Can you imagine that? It's no time for football. (laughs) And then we had a Wednesday night prayer meeting. We called it, get ready for this, the midweek hour of power. That's, I mean, that's catchy, right? The midweek hour of power. And if you are real, see, if you, if you love the church, this is what we used to say. If you love the church, you're in church on Sunday morning. If you love the pastor, you're in church on Sunday evening too. And guess what we said? If you love God, you're also in church on Wednesday night. Now, I mean, come on, that's pretty manipulative, right? (laughs) This is leading by guilt. And it's a powerful instrument, isn't it? If I can make you feel guilty about yourself, you'll want to do something to alleviate the guilt, right? But I promise you, that's not, that's not the kind of a leader I want to be. So I will, I will try my best not to use that leadership tool, okay? Don't want to try to influence you to do something because you feel guilty. But that's how we ran. And we had a man, we would have a little Bible study by the pastor, and then the men and the women would break up into two teams. And uh, I would be there with my dad, and I would tag along with him to the men's prayer room, And the ladies would go to the ladies' prayer room. I don't know what they did in their prayer room, but I know what happened in the men's prayer room. We shared shared a list of prayer requests. People would diligently write down everything that everybody said we'd like to pray about. And then uh, Reverend Bob Jones, no, Gordon Jones, I'm sorry. His, His name was Gordon Jones, Sr. Reverend Gordon Jones, Sr., who was either a retired pastor or retired missionary, He was old, but he was sort of the de facto prayer, men's prayer group leader. So he would kind of make sure we wrote everything down and then he would say, okay, now let's go to prayer. And he would pray first and he prayed for everything on the list. It's like you, you, you start the, you start the meal and you start passing the food and, and the first person that you pass the platter of meat to takes all of it <laughs> and passes the empty dish around. That's how it seemed to me as a little boy, okay? He prayed for everything. What's left for the rest of us to pray for? And that was, that was one of my early introductions to group praying. And because of that, I've always tried to not do that. But is it wrong to pray in a group? No. 
It's just wrong to pray in a group to pray to the group. You see what I'm saying? I'm not, when, when I am praying in a group, if I'm praying to impress you, I might as well go home. And so might you. Because God isn't paying, God's tuning that, oh, where's the remote? I'm flicking the, I'm flicking the, I'm changing the channel off of, now God never changes the channel off of you, okay? You're always, you're always tuned in. He's always tuned into you, I guess that's the right way to say that. But, if you're praying to be heard by your brothers and sisters, God says, okay, you can, you can expect them to answer your prayer then. But if you want me to interact with you, talk to me. If other people listen in, fine. Part of, part of praying in the group of believers like we're doing right now, part of the reason we do this is so that, so that some of us who are in roles of leadership and some who have been walking with God for a longer period of time and have learned more about how to pray comfortably can demonstrate, can show, can teach, can help other people find their voice, so to speak, to be able to pray. Does that make sense to you? I hope so. Made sense to me. I should... I should be comfortable praying in a group of like-minded believers because we need to encourage one another to pray and encourage one another in praying and agree with one another because, oh, by the way, God's word says wherever two two or three of you agree, things can happen. So, the, the antidote to the hypocrite's prayer to be heard by others is to engage your heart along with your head. And that happens, and I think what Jesus was saying is, go get with God. Go get some alone time with God. And learn how to talk to God and how to listen. Because this comes out of a relationship. And how do you build a relationship with any person? You build a relationship with any person, human or divine, by spending time talking and listening. You know what? You can actually do this without ever seeing the person that you're developing this relationship with. We used to do this by writing letters and putting them in envelopes and addressing them and putting a stamp on them and committing them to the U.S. Postal Service to deliver. Sometimes we even corresponded with people in other countries. How many of you ever had a correspondence with what we used to call a pen pal? A lot of us did this in school. We could develop a relationship Sometimes we did this through our missionaries. We would get connected with a child that our missionary in another country was ministering to 
and we would correspond. Maybe we would get a photograph or we'd learn some things about this person, never having met them, never having touched them, but we were building a relationship. Is it possible to do that? Today it's even easier. Through uh, electronic communication devices, may I even say in church without making it a curse word, social media. Uh, when I was in Maine, I was going on a missions trip and I created a little fundraising thing which I shared on Facebook and somebody from Oklahoma saw it, got excited about what our project was and supported me financially for that missions trip. I never met him. I have still to this day never met him. But he was excited. I built a relationship with him through social media. The second time I went on this missions trip, I created this fundraiser and he supported it again. And he kept supporting it. Every other week on his payday, he'd put more money into the fundraiser. He ended up supporting more than half of my goal all by himself. A man to this day I've never met. But we have a relationship. You can have a relationship with someone that you have never seen with your eyes or touched with your hands by communicating in whatever means is, is available to you by communicating to and receiving communication from that person. Does that sound like a relationship with Jesus that you or I have never seen with our eyes or touched with our hands? But by spending time in praying and reading his word, you and I, we're able to develop a relationship with a real person. Do you, do you follow that? That is the antidote for the hypocrisy that comes when I engage my head, but nothing in my heart. The, bless you, the right guardrail. Now this, the left guardrail in verse 7 when you, and when you pray, do not, oh, I love this expression, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. There's the other label. The Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, don't be like the hypocrites. And don't be like the Gentiles. Now this word Gentiles is, depending on the translation that you're using, sometimes it's translated as pagans or sometimes as heathen. Uh, those, those labels seem offensive, right? Those seem critical, harsh, judgmental. But they're all the same, they're all the same word in Greek. And, and the word in Greek is ethnikos, ethnikos. You, you, know, you know the word ethnic, that's a, that's a word in our English vocabulary. Ethnic just is a group, a group of people. And ethnikos, this word uh, in Greek, is used to describe everyone who is not part of the Jewish tradition of knowing God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, saying, I am that I am. 
This is Jesus' way of saying the people who are not in the know from the Old Testament scriptures, but who do have an idea that there is a God or gods out there, and they want to be in favor with those gods, that God or those gods, whoever they are. Paul encountered this in the city of Athens, famously in Acts chapter 17, when he went into the city of Athens and he began to to look around and he saw all of these altars and all of these temples, each one dedicated to this God or that God. You, you probably learned about the Greek gods in, in history or English literature. And then Paul said, oh, here's a, here's a statue. And the inscription of the statue is to the unknown God. This is the just in case God. Just in case we missed one. And Paul said, oh, the, the God that you worship in ignorance, I want to declare him to you. And that's what, Je- that's what Jesus is referring to. The people who worship in ignorance. I am somehow aware, I am conscious of a divine presence or presences. And they're bigger than me, I'd like them to be on my side. What can I do to get them to be sympathetic to my cause? I know I'll make sacrifices and I'll throw up a flurry of praying. I'll, I'll throw up a flurry of words. Maybe one of them will be the right word. I'll, I'll figure out the magic words. This, this guardrail on the left, don't be like the Gentiles who have engaged their hearts, but not, you, you, you already figured this out, right? Oh, he's going to do this. Uh, he said, uh, heads and not hearts. So obviously the next one is going to be hearts and not heads, right? You already figured that out. I'm pretty transparent. I'm a simple guy. I'm not doing anything special up here. I'm just talking to you. Don't be like the Gentiles who really want to get it right, but they have no idea what they're doing because they don't know me. And so they're just trying to fill the void. They're trying to fill the emptiness with words. It's just background clutter. It's just noise. They heap up empty words. How many times have you and I recited memorized prayers? I did it already this morning. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, <gasps> pray the Lord my soul to take. I, I, that traumatized me. <clears throat> God is great. God is good. And we thank him for this food. By his hands, we all are blessed. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. I got that all wrong. That wasn't one that I memorized. You got to straighten me out on that one. My, my oldest niece, I was visiting them. She was just learning to talk, maybe three, maybe three or four years old. We, I sat at their breakfast table. This is before Kelly and I were married. I sat at their breakfast table, and they asked uh, Andrea, my oldest niece, to, to pray. And she said, God is great. God is good. Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> I was thinking, what does she know about this food that I don't know? (laughs) 
right? Now I know that's twisted. That's, I'm sorry. There's a danger for us when we say stuff that comes from our hearts, but we don't know who we're saying it to or how we should address the one we're saying it to. And so um, there is uh, an antidote for this error as well. And the, the antidote for the Gentile who prays sincerely but in ignorance. The antidote for this is, oh, by the way, time with God. <laughs> yeah. But also what, something I'm calling intentional prayer. Uh, not just I intend to pray, but I am praying and I am praying purposefully with some understanding with some knowledge that comes behind it. And Jesus goes on to give a beautiful illustration of what that will look like. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday, the Lord willing. But just before I finish, I want to quickly point out two other wrong ways to pray. Other things that we should watch out for. And uh, I'm taking these from James chapter 4. James chapter 4, the last part of verse 2 says, You do not have, God has not given you something because you have not asked him for it. And so this is almost too obvious to mention, but James didn't think so. Your prayers aren't answered because they haven't been offered. You might have thought about, gee, I wish something, but you haven't... You know, you, you, you do this, you say, oh, I, I, need to send a, I need to send a message, I need to send a text, I need to send an email to somebody about this. And you're, you thought about it, did you do it? You thought about it, but you didn't actually send the message. Or, you know, you started it, but now it's sitting in your draft folder. And you say, oh, how come they never responded to me? How come you never responded to that message I sent you? Well... I, I never got it. Did you actually send it? You have not because you ask not. And then secondly, he says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. How do you ask it wrongly? You ask it wrongly because your reason for wanting it is selfish. I tell this story often. I was a young, first-time pastor at a church in another part of the county. And this, and this young man, younger than me, um, on, on Wednesday night prayer meeting, the midweek hour of power, in the men's prayer group, asked for us to pray because that day he had filled out his entry form to the publisher's house clearing, publisher's clearing house sweepstakes, and he asked for us to pray for him to win the sweepstakes, and when he got the check for $10 million, he would tithe. <laughs> and I, I've never forgotten that. Now, now this, this man, he was not 
he, he was sincere. He was genuine. Can I say he was simple? He wasn't, he wasn't trying to, to be selfish. Had it come from anybody else, I would have just ignored it. But because this is what he was asking for, I did pray for his request. And I prayed for God's provision and, and for God's favor to be on him. And for God to help him to understand that he could ask God for what he needed. And God knows what he needs. And God will provide for all of his needs. And if God chose to provide for his needs by giving him the winning entry to the publisher's house clearing, publisher's clearing house, we see I, they 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 don't advertise like they used to because that I'm, if they were if they were in my ear every other day I'd I'd, I'd get it right. The publisher's clearing house sweepstakes. If he did win and he did tithe, praise God. <laughs> I would love it if God would just set me up for life. So I never had to ask him for anything. But as we're going to see next Sunday, what God really wants is for me to go to him every day and ask him for what I need today. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, intentional prayer. So don't go off the road to the right. Don't go off the road to the left. But there's a lot of road between the left and the right. So experiment and enjoy the privilege of praying. Let's practice it right now. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the privilege that it is to come into your presence and talk with you about what's on our minds, what's on our hearts, what our needs are, what our fears are, what our cares and concerns are. We pray for ourselves, we pray for those we love, we pray for our children, we pray for our grandchildren, we pray for our brothers and sisters, we pray for those who are suffering, we pray for those around the world that we hear about who are in trouble. All of these things that are on our minds and hearts, Father, I know that they're interesting to you, and I know that you are glad for us to talk with you about our thoughts and feelings and cares and concerns. Help us to do this in a way that is effective as we engage both our heads and our hearts in coming to you in prayer. Thank you for the time we've had to talk about it today. In Jesus' name.
Why should I gain from his rewards? I have absolutely no reason to gain. God, we don't bring anything to the table. Our salvation, everything that we are, comes through you. We are thankful for that grace. We are thankful for your mercy. We are thankful for your love. Help us to have a week where we are talking to you and we pray. And we pray the right way. God, help us to develop this relationship with you. Help us to let others see you through us, especially in this time right now, God. It's a hostile time to be a Christian. Let's not be hostile back. Let's show love and let's show grace. And let's show the world who you are through how we act. We love you, God. We thank you for all that you're going to do. We thank you for this beautiful day and just watch us and keep us through this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.